love that song. Come on now. Woo. I'm fired up. Whoever picked that bumper needs a raise, okay? I love that bumper. It is good to be with all of you, those joining at our Half Me campus and in, in, in our uh, Saratoga campus and here, obviously in Latham and those joining online. So happy that you are with us today and I am so thrilled to be with all of you. Hey, I got a question. Do you hope for a better tomorrow, that tomorrow will be better than today? I think we all hope for a better future. You know what's so encouraging is that God desires a better tomorrow for you and for me, and his desires for us can be found in his promises to us. And those promises are found in his word. Oh, there's so many incredible promises that God has for you and for me. He promises to give us a peace that surpasses all understanding when we're filled with anxiety. He promises to be near the brokenhearted and to save those who are crushed in spirit when we're filled with loss and grief. For those of us who want more meaning and purpose out of life, God promises to give us a purpose that will fulfill the desires of our hearts. And through the prophet Jeremiah, he says, I have plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in a future. And you know, the greatest promise of all is that we have nothing to fear beyond the grave, for by grace, you have been saved. God desires a better future for you and for me. You know what all those promises have in common? They're anchored to faith. They flow through faith. Ephesians 2.8, for by grace you have been saved. How? Through faith. Today, as we continue in our series in the book of Hebrews, hasn't this been an incredible sermon series that Pastor Rex has brought? I mean, come on, week in and week out. And today we're going to be looking at the 11th chapter. It's known as the faith chapter or the hall of fame of faith. And what the writer is doing here is he's pulling some Old Testament heroes, these examples, these men and women from the Old Testament of faith as a way to encourage these first century Jewish Christians who are struggling in their faith. And it's a way to encourage them to persevere and a way to encourage you and me today to persevere in the faith. But before we get to these incredible examples of faith, the author defines faith first this way. Look at it with me. Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Now, what is hope? Hope is wanting something to happen in the future without a guarantee that it will happen. You may say things like, I hope to get a raise. I hope to get promoted. I hope to get married. It's wanting something to be without any guarantee. But this hope is different. Because it comes with assurance. The outcome is certain. You see, faith happens when hope so becomes confidence that something will be so. Question, how does hope become confidence? Imagine your boss comes to you and says, I know you've been hoping for a raise. Well, I'm happy to tell you, you are getting a raise. It's substantial. It starts next month. You're so excited. You go to your roommate or your spouse, and you do not say, I'm hoping to get a raise next month. No. You say, I got a raise. Did you get it yet? No. But you have faith, there's the word, in your boss, and you trust that his or her promises are as good as done. It's settled in your mind, and you act as if you already got it, even though you did not. Faith happens 
When hope so becomes confidence that something will be so. So the question is, do we have faith like that in God? Do we trust that his good promises for us, by the way, those are the things hoped for in this verse. Do we trust that his good promises for us will come to pass, even though we may not experience them or have them today? Now, some may push back and say, I can't see God. I can see my boss. I can't see God. How do I know he's real, let alone that his promises will come to pass? And that's why there are some that will say, the Christian faith is nothing more than blind faith. It's pie in the sky, cross my fingers and hope it will happen kind of faith. But hear me, nothing is further from the truth because our faith has evidence. It comes with substance. The writer in verse 1b puts it this way. Faith is conviction of things not seen. Your translations may say faith is proof, faith is evidence, Faith is assurance or faith is substance of things not seen. And that which is unseen is God. And what the writer here is saying is that there is evidence in the physical created world that points to God. Verse three, by faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. And even though we can't see God, his fingerprints are all over creation. The Apostle Paul in Romans 1.20 put it this way, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen in what has been made. And even if you don't see him, you see him everywhere. If you just stop, and look, and contemplate, if you just have eyes to see, 14 years ago, my wife, Lisa, gave birth to our premature daughters, our twin daughters, at Albany Medical Center. She was admitted into the hospital and placed on bed rest a week prior. Obviously, we were trying to delay labor as long as we could. It was just a week into it that she gave labor, went into labor and gave birth. I got a call early one morning, it was Tuesday, December 12th, that she was in labor, and I rushed to the hospital. I rushed back. I had just left there about an hour prior but by the time I got there, she had already given birth, and the babies were admitted into the neonatal intensive care unit at Albany Medical. And I ran to the elevators, and when the elevator doors opened to the NICU floor, by the way, a floor I have never been to prior in my life, I witnessed two truths from God's word in living color. As I walked the hallways, and I looked around seeing these tiny babies fighting for their lives in these incubators, I knew how true Genesis 3 is, that we live in a fallen, messed up world, a world in need of redemption. And as I was about to hit the turn to where my daughters were, I must admit I was filled with fear, not knowing what they would look like at just 23 weeks and five days. But wow, I was blown away when I looked into the little window of the incubators and I looked at them. Now they were small. Gianna was just under a pound. Michaela was just over a pound. But they were perfect. Perfect little nose perfect little ears, perfect eyes and lips, perfect arms and hands and fingers, perfect legs, feet, toes. And I remember saying, how can such perfection come into existence in 23 weeks and five days? And then I quietly quoted 14, Psalm 14.1 to myself. The fool says there is no God. And whether you're looking at a newborn baby 
or whether you're looking at the gorgeous oceans, or whether you're looking at the beautiful mountainscapes, or whether you're contemplating the precision and balance of Earth's rotation around the sun to sustain life on Earth, creation screams that there is a loving creator God behind it all. Substance, yeah. Substance to our faith. And this is a God that you can trust to deliver on, your, on, your prom, on his promises because he has delivered on his promises. So many promises in God's word that have come to pass. I'm sure you've experienced some in your own life. I know I have. And we're going to look at some incredible promises that have come to pass in the lives of these heroes. Before we get to them, the question is this. Do you believe God? That's what faith is. Do you believe that he's real and that he's good? Because if you do, you will seek him. That's what people of faith do. Verse six, anyone who comes to him must believe he exists, he's real, and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him, he's good. And when you seek God in and through the cross of Christ, listen, he will change you from the inside out. He will change the way you think. He will change your perspective. He will change your priorities. He will change your desires. He will change your passions. From me-centered to God-centered. It's a complete change of heart. And when our hearts change out of a commitment to him, you change. Your behaviors change and your actions change. Hear me. Faith is not just saying, I believe, I believe, I believe, and living no differently than when you came to God. Faith walks in lockstep to that which we say we believe. As Jesus' half-brother James said in the book of James in the New Testament, faith without action is no faith at all. And the heroes are men and women who, by the way, are not perfect, far from it, but there are men and women who were committed to God, who turned to God, and who believed God, and who walked by faith, knowing that God's good promises would one day come to pass for them. And now I want to pivot, and we're going to go through some of the heroes of the faith. Now, there's a lot of them, so I can't cover them all. But there's two principles, two teachings that they give us in this chapter that we will cover. All of them teach us this. Point number one, people of faith walk in faith despite the risk you see, there's always risk when you walk by faith. You may, for example, be ridiculed by others. Think of Noah, verse 11. By faith, when warned about things not yet seen in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. In Genesis 6, we read that God was fed up with humanity because of all the wickedness and evil and violence that was happening. And he was going to wipe them out, literally, with a flood. But he saw Noah, a righteous man, and he came to know with a promise. The promise came in the form of a warning. He said, a flood is coming. 40 days and 40 nights of constant rain. If you want to rescue you and your family, build this ark. And he gives him these instructions on how to build the ark. And by faith, Noah builds the ark. Now, you have to understand, it took years to build the ark. By some accounts, over 50 years. Imagine the sun is shining 
And there is Noah pounding away, building this ark. It's a boat that's like a thousand times too big for his family. He's in the middle of a desert. There's no body of water anywhere near him. And by some accounts, it has either never rained or rarely rained up to this point in history. What do you think the people thought of Noah? They thought he was nuts. And you know what? They mocked him. and They ridiculed him. They laughed at him. Why? Because he believed God and he walked by faith knowing God's promises would come to pass in his life. Think of Joshua and the Israelites, verse 30. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around the walls for seven days. Moses died. Joshua is the leader of the Israelites. They're about to conquer Canaan. That is the land that God had promised them, but they had to first tackle this walled city of Jericho. And let me tell you, God had a very unusual battle plan for Jericho, and he laid it out for Joshua. He said, this is how it's going down. You're going to put your priests in the front. They're going to have horns. They're going to blow the horns when you march around the city. You're going to have the Ark of the Covenant there, and everybody's going to follow quietly. You're going to march around the city once every, every day for six consecutive days. On the seventh day, you're going to walk around the walled city seven times. At the end of the seventh time, you're going to blow the horns, you're going to let out a large shout, and you're going to see the walls come tumbling down. And then in you go and take Jericho. That's the battle plan. Have a good day, Joshua. God's out. Now imagine being Joshua, having to take that battle plan to his people. It is his first military act as the leader of the Israelites, and he lays it all out. And he is effectively telling them, put down your weapons and take up your instruments. We are now going to be a marching band, you know. This isn't good. And they march, he says, we're going to march around 13 times over seven days, just the way God laid it out. On the seventh day, we're going to march around seven times. The last day, we're going to blow the horns, let out a large shout, the walls are going to come down, and in we go. And I'm thinking some thought he'd lost his mind. But if they didn't, because listen, they obeyed. Certainly the people of Jericho must have thought they were crazy as they looked at the Israelites marching and blowing the horns, they were ridiculing them. They were laughing at them. They were likely mocking them. Why? Because they trusted God with their lives. They believed God and they acted in faith, knowing that God's promises would come to pass. You may be ridiculed when you walk by faith. You may also lose the comforts and ease of life that you're normally accustomed to. Think of Abraham, the father of the faith. Verse 8, by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went. Now get this. Even though he did not know where he was going, God tells Abraham to leave everything that is comfortable to him. Leave your homeland of Mesopotamia. It is where his family is. It's where his possessions are. It's where his heritage is. And God is telling him, who, by the way, Abraham is at the age of 75, leave it all. And I'm going to make you an alien in a foreign land. And then God gives him these incredible promises. And from you and your descendants, you will be a great nation. And from you and your descendants, you will be a blessing to all the peoples of the earth. And I can only imagine Abraham saying, wow. And then asking, when is that going to happen? How is that going to happen? And God simply saying, I'll tell you later, go. And what's incredible is that Abraham obeyed and he packed up his belongings. He left his homeland of Mesopotamia, not knowing where he was going. 
He lived in tents, longing for God's promises to come to pass in his life. Talk about uncomfortable. How about Moses? Verse 24, by faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Let me pause. When Moses was a baby, Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, issued an edict to the Israelites. They were enslaved by the Egyptians, and the edict was so evil. Kill your baby boys. It was a form of population control. You didn't want the Israelites to get too large in size. They may be a threat to the Egyptians. Kill your baby boys. But Moses' parents, who are also listed here as heroes of the faith, by faith, did not fear the king's edict. Obviously, they could be killed for not listening to the king. And they weren't killing Moses. They put their baby in a waterproof basket and floated him on the Nile. And down the river, as Pharaoh's daughter bathing, she sees this beautiful baby and adopts him as her own. Okay, so Moses is an Israelite, but he grows up in Pharaoh's quarters as an Egyptian. And when he gets older, it says here, he refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose, very important, chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. See, Moses made life-changing decisions that left him real uncomfortable. Here he is, growing up in the king's quarters. I mean, he enjoyed all the luxuries and the riches and the benefits of being the crown prince of the Pharaoh. But as he got older, he knew he had a decision to make. Because on one hand, he sees the injustice all around, inflicted upon the Israelite people at the hands of the Egyptians, and he knew it was wrong. But yet on the other, in the flesh, he's living a life of ease. And it's a picture of living for the things of this world. And when you live for yourself and the pleasures of the things of the world, the fleeting pleasures of sin, they never satisfy. And it left them empty. And he knew there was more to life than that. He had a decision to make. And he chose to no longer bask in the treasures of the things of this world, but rather suffer with the people of God. And that decision came out ahead. When he witnessed the injustice right before his eyes, as an Egyptian slave master is brutally beating an Israelite slave, inches from death, Moses is infuriated. He defends the Israelite, and in the process, he murders the Egyptian slave master. And at that point, there was no turning back for Moses. And he chose no longer to live in the king's quarters. He chose to suffer with the people of God, and he went into exile, into, into the Midianite wilderness. Now, you may be thinking, wait a minute, if you know the story, didn't he have to leave? I mean, Pharaoh heard what had happened, and he wanted Moses' head. I think Moses had some fear, certainly, about that, but it's not the motivating reason why he left, because the writer of Hebrews tells us, verse 27, look at it with me. He left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. God had a bigger calling on his life, and he had a decision to make. Am I going to live for me, or am I going to live for God? Am I going to live for the fleeting pleasures of sin in this world, or am I going to live for a bigger calling that God has for my life? Every one of us has that decision to make. And Moses chose to go into exile, to suffer with the people of God. I can only imagine while he's there in the Midianite wilderness, 
barely eking out a living with his sheep, the people coming to him and saying, weren't you living in Pharaoh's quarters? What are you doing here? And he would say, I'm living by faith. I trust God with my life. You see, when you walk by faith, you may be very uncomfortable and you may also be filled with anxiety and fear. 40 years later, God calls Moses out of the meeting that wilderness to go and confront Pharaoh, demand, let my people go. God is effectively asking Moses to go to the strongest political leader at this time in the world and ask him to effectively end a several hundred year tradition of Israelite enslavement for the benefit of the Egyptians. It's like, good luck with this one, Moses. Now I know what some of you are thinking. These heroes had it easy. They heard from God, you know. I've never heard from God. Have you audibly heard from God? But let me tell you something. If I were there in a bush, spoke to me. Bush spoke to Moses in this case. Okay, I'm just saying. And that bush says, go to Pharaoh the strongest political leader in the world, and demand that he ends a several hundred year tradition that benefits them. I'm thinking, I'm hearing things. You know, is this, is, is this really God? You know, I, I, I'm not thinking I'm going, you know, I'm just saying. In fact, Moses threw every excuse at God. Of course he did. He was full of anxiety and fear. He's like, what if he don't believe you sent me? What if they don't listen to me? What if they kill me on the spot? And then he goes, you know, I'm not a great communicator. I'm not going to be able to rally the people to follow me. I do stutter. You know, God, I mean, he's throwing everything. And then finally he says, send someone else. Send someone else. Can you at all relate to Moses? I know I can at times. Where you feel God may be calling you to something bigger. And, and you begin to make excuses. But God's like, no, Moses, I want you to go. I'll be with you, Moses. I'll help you. I have a big calling on your life. And by faith, despite the fear and the anxiety, Moses goes to Egypt to confront the Pharaoh. And finally, Abraham, verse 17, by faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. And I wanted to hit this one because it is the greatest act of faith recorded in all of the Bible, second only to the faith of Jesus, and it's when God tests Abraham. And he says, Abraham, take your one and only son, the one whom you love, Isaac, take him to a mountain that I will show you and sacrifice him to me. It made no sense. On so many different levels, this makes no sense. One in particular. Remember when God was calling Abraham out of Mesopotamia and he gave him these incredible promises from you and your descendants who will be a great nation. From you and your descendants, all the peoples of the earth will be blessed. Do you remember that? Well, Abraham at 75 and Sarah at 65 did not have children of their own. They're like, what descendants? But God promised they would have a child of their own and they waited and they waited and they waited. And by faith, Sarah, another one mentioned here as a hero of the faith, gave birth to Isaac at the age of 90, far beyond childbearing age. He is the child of promise. All of God's promises to Abraham are wrapped up in this child. Fast forward 15 years later, here is God 
telling Abraham, sacrifice him to me. It makes no sense on so many different levels. And yet, despite the confusion, despite the anxiety and the fear that Abraham must have felt, he obeyed. And he took Isaac on a three-day journey to a mountain God had shown them, Mount Moriah, to do the unthinkable. And what makes it even more difficult is on that three-day journey, Isaac turns to his dad and says, hey, Dad, I see we have the wood for the sacrifice and the rope, but where is the lamb? And Abraham said, God would provide. God will provide. Now, I do not believe Abraham is his paper saint of perfection, putting his hands on his hips, saying, don't worry, son, God's got this. He was shaken with fear. Wondering, why would God call me to such a place at such a time to do such a thing? And despite the anxiety and the fear and the confusion, he went to Mount Moriah. Now, here's what all the heroes are teaching us. When you walk by faith, you will experience risk. You may be ridiculed. You may be mocked, you may be laughed at, you may be real uncomfortable, you may be confused, you may be filled with anxiety, you may be filled with fear, but make no mistake about it, when you walk by faith, you experience risk. To which all of you may be thinking, of course you experience risk. Because when you walk by faith, you give the reins of your life over to another God. You give control of your life over to another. And anytime you do that, there's risk. You know, that's why commitment is at the foundation of faith. Without commitment to God, there is no faith. You know, over and over in the Bible, Old Testament, New, New Testament, God is always telling you and I, I don't want sacrifice. I want commitment. He goes, I want you to know how good I am to you, how much I love you unconditionally, and I want you to be blown away by that so that you are committed to me. Because when we're committed to God, he has our heart. When he has our heart, we value him more than anything in this world. And when we value him like that, we earnestly seek him. And when we earnestly seek him, he empowers us to do that which on the surface appears to be impossible. He empowers us to walk by faith despite the risk. Despite the risk. See, we can't do this without him, and we won't do it unless we trust him. That's faith. I once heard it said this way. If you think the Christian faith is too risky, you have not heard the call of God, because it is not about the risk or what you lose. Rather, it's about who you gain, him. And when we walk by faith, we walk with him. And that's when life gets real exciting. You see, there's another side to faith. Sure, there's risk. But here's point number two the heroes of the faith teach us. There's also reward. People of faith experience reward a better tomorrow. Sure, Joshua and the Israelites, 
They were being mocked by the people of Jericho when they were marching around that walled city, blowing their horns. But on that seventh day, the seventh time around, when they blew the horns long and let out a big shout, the mocking ended because the walls came tumbling down just as God promised. And in they went to Jericho. Reward. The ridicule ended for Noah when the rains came and the floods came. And Noah rescued his entire family and the animals because he built that ark. But he didn't just rescue them. Think about it. He rescued all of humanity. You and I are rescued because Noah walked by faith. Reward. I mean, Moses, he was no doubt filled with fear and anxiety when he had to approach Pharaoh, the strongest political leader at that time, to demand, let my people go. But that fear subsided when Moses led the Israelites on dry land across the Red Sea, effectively ending a several hundred year tradition of Israelite bondage to the Egyptians' reward. And Abraham, no doubt, was filled with anxiety when he went to Mount Moriah and he built the altar and he tied his son to the altar. He was about to do the most unthinkable thing and God stopped him. Abraham, don't touch Isaac. For now I know I can trust you, relief, reward. Oh, there's so many heroes of the faith and their document. I don't have time to go into them in verses 32 through 35 that experienced God's promises coming to pass. Despite the risk, there was reward in their lives. See, people of faith experience a better tomorrow. But do all people of faith experience reward, a better tomorrow? I mean, forgive me, I skipped Abel. He's, he's actually one of the first here listed as the heroes of the faith. You, you, I think most of you know the story of Cain and Abel. Abel is a hero of the faith. Because out of faith, out of a heart of commitment to God, he gave a better offering than Cain. You see, Cain gave out of sacrifice. It wasn't a, an offering that was pleasing to God, and God was more pleased with Abel's offering than Cain. What did Cain do? He killed his brother out of envy. Is that reward? Is that a better tomorrow? What's going on? Pick up verse 35. There were others, men and women of faith, who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. Legend has it that was the prophet Isaiah. They were killed by the sword. Is that really Reward. Is that a better tomorrow? You see, if we look at faith only through the lens of this world, it's not going to make sense all the time. It's like when the Apostle Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That makes no sense if you think this life is all that there is. That's why people of faith are eternally minded. The writer in this chapter, verse 14 and 15, 
will say people of faith don't look back to their life before God, their, their life of sin. Moses didn't look back to Pharaoh's courts. Abraham didn't look back to Mesopotamia. No, rather, it says, they looked forward to that heavenly city, a city with foundations, a city whose maker and creator is God, eternal perspective. You know, Abraham, the father of the faith, he didn't experience all of God's promises coming to pass before he died a physical death. And God said, from you and your descendants, all the peoples of the earth will be blessed. From you and your, your descendants, you will be a great nation. That was never realized for him before he died a physical death. He died living in tents. But verse 13 says he died in faith, believing that one day God's promises would come to pass. Eternal perspective. In John chapter 8, we read, about a heated conversation, discussion that Jesus is having with the Pharisees. Those were the religious elite at that time. They were hypocrites. They were outwardly so holy, but inside their hearts were so far from God. The Pharisees were appealing to Abraham as a basis for rejecting Jesus. And they said, we are the sons of Abraham. And Jesus said, if you are the sons of Abraham, you would be on my side. And then Jesus makes this profound statement in verse 56. Abraham rejoiced to see my day come. Now, what does that mean? Abraham rejoiced. See, it's through Jesus, who's from the lineage of Abraham and Sarah's child of promise, Isaac. Okay, he's from that lineage. It's from and through Jesus that all the peoples of the earth will be blessed. That's the promise God gave to Abraham when he was leaving Mesopotamia. Because there is no other name under the heavens by which you can be saved other than the name of Jesus, both Jew and Gentile. Abraham was looking forward to the promise of the cross. You and I are looking back to the cross as a promise fulfilled. You see, some rewards will come this side of eternity, and some rewards will come at the other side of eternity. But make no mistake about it, people of faith experience reward. They experience a better tomorrow. They experience eternal hope. In fact, the greatest reward is that people of faith, verse 6 and 16 of this passage, please God. Because you honor him and you give glory to him when you trust him with your life. That's faith. That's faith. And when you do, look what it says in verse 39 as we close. And when you do all of the heroes of the faith, were commended for their faith. You know what that word commended means? Picture this. God is commending them. He is applauding them. He is praising them. He is celebrating them. So that when they came face to face with their creator God, as we all will one day, all they heard was, well done, good and faithful servant. And now, it's our time. It's our turn. 
What will be said of you? What will be said of me? And my prayer is that we will be men and women who walk by faith knowing that God is real and God is so good that he rewards those who live for him. Hope for tomorrow. Let's pray. Father God, you are so good to us. And my prayer, Father, is wherever everyone is that hears my voice, I don't know where they all are in their walk to you, but my prayer, Father, is that they would be drawn to you because you are so good. And you have given us hope eternal through our Savior, Jesus Christ. We're sinners, and we're in need of his grace, your grace. And Father, may that grace that really surpasses all understanding because we are so fallen, may that grace, may your love, may your kindness draw us so close to you that you change us from the inside out, that we become committed to you so that we not only say we believe, but that we walk in faith. And when we do, not only will you take us on an exciting journey, but you will take us on a journey that will impact this world for you. That's my prayer, Father. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.